The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio Classics, where we listen to some old episodes with new intros, new insights, a little behind-the-scenes stuff. You know, this is one of the episodes that really kind of flew under the radar. So, I mean, we're going back to episode 113. At this point, the show had, I don't know, two, three hundred listeners. Um, So, much bigger than a lot of podcasts, but not to the level we're at today. So, when we start going this far back in the catalog, a lot of people, and this wasn't like a golf rumors, this wasn't something that was big on the conspiracy iceberg that people were actively looking up. This episode is one of those that really flew under the radar, but actually I think is a kind of one of the important episodes of the Dead Rabbit canon. Again, like yesterday's episode, it has three stories, which I always like that. The first story is a pretty cut and dry UFO story, but it's notable because it's the first fatality ever connected with a modern UFO sighting. And then we have, and I like doing historical stuff. We have some more historical stuff coming up in season nine. Season seven and eight didn't have a lot. But season 9, I'm going to do a couple more. I like looking back at history and looking at all these weird events. This one is Dio Jeans. He's hanging out. He's the trolliest troll. When I was listening back to this episode, I was like, oh, you filthy old man. I really love going back and doing little things about history. I think that's always always an interesting thing. But then we end it with a conspiracy iceberg topic that actually kind of spun off into its own conspiracy theory. And, again, it's like yesterday's one. It's one that I don't think anyone's ever looked at. And I think this episode, I would really like to see someone who's much smarter than me really dig into the numbers on this. Because listening back to the, again, this was episode 113, so this came out in uh, 2018. This was an early episode, probably early 2019, 2018. I listened to the episode again, and I'm like, I'm even more sure now of my belief that there is a connection between pedophiles and school shooters. Both people are just so, they're so consumed with darkness that it seems like such a small bridge to cross to go from one to the other. A lot of people say this is the first podcast they've ever listened to. There's a podcast called Hunting Warhead. It's about two, it's about a journalist and a hacker go into the dark web to try to track down people who profit off of child abuse and child abuse images. And it's it's about six episodes, only six episodes long. It's a really, really good podcast. And I just recently listened to that, and then I listened to this episode maybe a week later. And after especially after listening to Hunting Warhead. These people are so disturbed mentally, and at this time I'm talking about people who commit child abuse and people who profit from child abuse, that there is, I believe there is a connection. And I think that it takes away a lot of the power that school shooters or mass shooters get in society. People are like, oh, the dude who shot up Virginia Tech, or oh, the Columbine people. 
people uh, turn these guys into martyrs or into myths. But if it turns out that these dudes are just a bunch of pedophiles, no one wants to idolize them, right? So I think this is possibly one of those conspiracy theories that I feel like I made a compelling case for. But you're like, Jason, you're really, you're really selling that one. I think that I did. I think that this episode, again, it's limited to how much research I can actually do. I would love to see someone actually really, really dig into this. But I recorded this episode uh, 300 episodes ago, and I'm even more sure now in my hypothesis that there is a connection between school shooters and pedophiles. There is one there. And whether it's being intentionally obscured because sometimes it, the fact, the real facts are just too gross for humans to handle. A lot of th- what you read in the newspaper, as grim as it can be, is nowhere near as dark as it actually is. Or it could just be that no one's really connected the dots until a young, handsome podcaster shone a light into the darkness and said, "Look over here, guys!" And all of a sudden, the research community looked over. I would love for someone to really kind of dig into this. You don't even have to give me credit. If you don't, yeah, you don't have to give me credit for this one. I don't want to be known for the guy. They're like, he had a really good insight on disgusting human beings. I, I would just, I because if my hypothesis is true, I think it might be easier to stop school shootings, right? I think if you can kind of hone in on people who collect child abuse images and use that as a stepping stone for investigating these school shootings, maybe, maybe it would help. Maybe it would help save lives. I don't know. The whole topic's completely disgusting. And to be honest, I question whether or not I wanted to revisit this episode. I was really like, it fits the theme of the week. I think it's an important episode. Not a lot of people have heard it. But at the same time, the topic itself is gross. Just the title of the podcast, this episode. You're like, ugh, gotta listen to this for 20 minutes. But maybe you out there have more insight on this and can actually do some work, some legwork, and actually... Look into this and uh, prove it right and maybe help people, help people connect the dots and then we can address both problems at the same time if they're connected. I don't know. At this point, I'm just rambling on. So now I'm going to let the podcast play, which is just more of me rambling on. This is episode 113, The School Shooter Pedophile Connection. An early UFO encounter changes the way the media looks at the phenomenon. We take a look at a Greek philosopher who, if he lived today, would most likely be described as a troll. Not physically, but, you know, internet troll. And then we take a look at a bizarre connection between child pornography and mass shootings. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. Hope everything is going really fun for you. We have a couple stories. We're going to do three stories today, so we're just going to, again, just kind of jump right into it. So the first story I want to talk about is just a brief one, but I think it's it's fairly interesting because it really kind of signified the change in the way that the media portrayed UFOs. So we're back in the 1940s. Now, at this point, the war's over. We dropped the nukes, and there's been some theories of correlation between that, like the nukes made the aliens go, oh no, they've developed these super powerful weapons, it's time to come down and float around and not contact them and and draw circles in their wheat. That'll show them. But anyway, so the nukes drop, 
we start having incidents like Roswell. We start having incidents like the UFOs that were sighted around. I think it was Mount Adams or Mount Shasta, one of the two. But it was kind of the start of the UFO flap. And at the time, the media portrayed it like, oh, look at these little people believing in little green men. Again, you've been drinking a little too much, you know? It was very tongue-in-cheek, the way that they covered a lot of this stuff. And there's been theories that the government was the one being like, cover it up. Don't let anybody know about this stuff. But what happened was in 1948, on January 7th, Captain Thomas F. Mantrell, he was an Air Force pilot. He was a decorated pilot in World War II. He was out with his squadron. With the Kentucky National Guard, the war's over, so what else are you going to do? Go back to Kentucky. They're flying around. They get a report that there is an unidentified flying object in the area. It is large. Well, it's 100 feet, but I mean, that's like, I don't know, 30 Jasons. Wait. If I'm, what, what would that be? We'll just round up to six. What's six divided into 100? What's 100 divided by six would be... Oh, wait, no, that's not, that's um only like... Wait, no, 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 because 10 Jasons would be 60 feet. And then we need another 5 Jasons, because that would be 5 times 30. So if we had 60, 90. So maybe another 7 Jasons. So it would take 17 Jasons to be the size of this ship. I know that took a while to figure out, but... And it's in diameter, so we'll, we'll have to figure out some more Jasons in there. But from point to point, you imagine 17 Jasons floating in the sky. It was consistent with the idea of what people thought was a UFO at the time. It was large, metallic, and cone-shaped. So the Kentucky National Guard, they their little fleet's like... They're like, check it out, check it out. I don't know why they talk like robots back then, but... Anyways, the planes are going. Now, it keeps ascending into the sky. And the jets are flying after it. And eventually they are going too high up and the rest of the team are like, dude, we got to we got to call this off. Like we're it's going too high. Then we can fly. So they start to back down. But Mantrell, Captain Mantrell is like, no, I'm going to get to the bottom of this once and for all. He continues to ascend at 25,000 feet up. The plane starts to uh, spiral into a dive and it crashes. What it can the official story is that that was what's known as a skyhook balloon. And at that time, it was a top-secret program. Nobody knew what they were unless they really worked on it or had the top-secret clearance. It was made out of reflective aluminum. It was 17 Jasons wide. So that was the official, that's an official report, 17 Jasons. So the story's notable because after this, the media stopped really kind of making fun of the, the whole UFO phenomenon. Because somebody had lost their life because of it. And it's interesting to look at because when I was growing up, the media was back to making fun of people looking at UFOs. You know, oh, little green men, you hitting that moonshine, eh? But for a period of time, they stopped joking about it because somebody lost their life. Um, so, yeah, I just thought it was kind of a, a little interesting story. Technically, he would be, as far as we know, the first casualty that was involved in a UFO encounter. As, you know, assuming that UFOs aren't abducting people and, you know, blowing their brains out with laser beams and stuff. But on the record, Captain Mantrell is the first person to die in pursuit of a UFO. And it turned out to just be a skyhook balloon. At least that's the official story. So I thought that was an interesting tale from the old days of UFOs. The next story we're going to look at, I told you it was going to be short. The next story we're going to look at is also going to be relatively short because... It's almost just a list of stuff this dude does. This was a recommendation. So I did a story about 
um, Mr. Haji, he was the dirtiest man alive. I did that story a couple weeks ago. There was a YouTube commenter named Emmanuel who said, hey, this guy, okay, now I'll say this. I, okay, I called the dude Herodotus, and everyone's like, no, it's Herodotus. And again, I don't know if I've said this earlier, do you really know his name is Herodotus? Because his name was in ancient Greek. And there's no one around who speaks ancient Greek who spoke it back then. Like, there's people who can, like, translate it. But technically, for all we know, it sounded like a bunch of crow's kind, and then just other languages he developed. I don't know. I, I, I'm sure... I, <laughs> I'm sure you guys are probably right that it's pronounced Herodotus, but it's spelled Herodotus. So that is, but I do appreciate the feedback, but I got a lot of comments on that episode in real life as well. People being like, I'm out at a party with some people and they're like, it's not Herodotus, it's Herodotus. And I'm like, well, according to the ancient Greeks, we don't know. Maybe they went... Like, you know, like, they're just clicking and clacking. We don't know. There's no sound recordings back then. So all that being said, in defense of what I'm about to talk about, let's talk about Diogenes. Now, Diogenes is a Greek philosopher who lived in the 400 BCs. So he's around back then. I can already hear the sound of history majors pulling their hair out. And I had someone try to explain to me how you pronounce his name, but it, but again, I... It's spelled Diogenes. And I'm Dio, like the rock band, and then Genes. It's it's very obvious. But anyway, so Diogenes was this philosopher, and he was one of the first cynics. And cynicism, we know now, like cynicism is kind of like, I get called a cynic every once in a while. I got called a cynic the other night, actually. But cynicism as a philosophy was is basically that true happiness is not found in material wealth and things around us or you know, being healthy or having political power or things like that. Cynics doesn't lie in any sort of fleeting things, which I got that definition from Wikipedia. And it's a baseline definition. It's kind of a... But see, what I don't understand is how how does that tie into me just being like, I just, I don't believe in that. I guess that is kind of, kind of that. But anyway, cynicism, I think... That, let me actually look up the definition of cynicism real quick. Highly, highly prepared for this episode. How are you guys doing? I'm using my phone if you're wondering how I'm still recording while I'm doing this. You guys having a good day? Cynicism. I know how to spell it. So there's that. And I'm I'm pronouncing that right. You get some credits for that. Oh, okay. Cynicism. An inclination to believe that people are motivated purely by self-interest skepticism. So yeah. Same thing. Just cynic is a kind of a, a philo- philosophical model of that. So... Let's go on with the episode. So Diogenes was this dude who lived in what is now modern-day Turkey. And the dude from the start was... He's a troll. He's an absolute troll. He would do stuff because he's a cynic. Because he would basically look at people who respected power and material wealth and all that stuff. He was spitting in their face all the time. And, And there's a lot of stories about him. And a lot of them people go, yeah, that probably didn't happen the way that we remember it. But it's funny, that's a fitting tribute to him. Because he probably wouldn't really want to be remembered. I think he probably would find it funny that nobody knows the exact details of what went on. He, his dad was a moneymaker. His dad, like, minted coins, and Diogenes would uh, deface it. So he got in trouble for that. 
You know, because he's what's the point? You're making this money and you'd like draw little mustaches on it. If they had mustaches back then, I'm assuming he would. He basically and this is why I think he got compared to the dirtiest man in the world. He just ate onions. He used to have a single cup to drink water out of until he saw a kid drinking water out of his hands. Dio Jeans is like, "Ah, I don't need this cup. This kid has it more figured out than I do. Now, the kid probably washed his hands more than you do, but fair enough. He was a bum. He was a total bum. He lived in a giant barrel in the middle of the city, like Oscar the Grouch. Some people say barrel, some people say jar. The point is, he lived in a container. A Diogenes-sized container is what he lived in. And he would just be like, wake up, big bird's walking down the street, he's like, hey, let me masturbate on you. Because he was a frequent public masturbator. At one point, one of the stories about him was he was sitting on the street, jacking off, and so the dude walks up and goes, hey, Diogenes, quit jacking off. And Diogenes, his response was, I wish it was as easy to banish hunger by rubbing my belly. I mean, it, I'm assuming he finished masturbating. But, it, I, I mean, it, that, it, I guess that does make sense. Like, wouldn't it be nice if you're hungry, you just rub your belly and it goes away? Just like, you can be like, you know what? I'm bored. I'm going to jack off. I'm horny. I'm going to jack off. Um, this episode's definitely getting an explicit filter. You'll have to be over 18 to listen to this episode on YouTube as well. But so he was just like a, a troll. He lived in a barrel or a box or just a Diogene shaped container, which I believe you can buy at Bed Bath and Beyond. But he would masturbate in public. He would poop in public, pee in public. He didn't care. Now, people were like, they, they kind of got it to a certain point. They're like, you know, he's living freer than I am, but he's also a disgusting, filthy human being. He thought. That people should be more like dogs. He thought dogs had it all figured out. It was a very simple way of living life. And the word cynic actually it comes from basically a deviation of the Greek word for dog. Because just live your life simple like a dog. I'll get to that in a second. Eventually, he, another great thing that he did. So we know of Socrates and we know of Plato. These great Greek philosophers. And people, there's a lot of people who would give their left arm to be able to speak to Socrates, to speak to Plato, to hear, just to hear these great minds think. Well, Diogenes didn't care. Diogenes flat out didn't care about these guys. I think that he cared about, no, I don't think he cared about them at all. I mean, he might have cared a little bit about their philosophy, but he thought it was too hoity-toity. He was like, oh, they're giving speeches in these big arenas and stuff like that. If I was a philosopher, I would jack off in front of him while I'm talking about stuff. So he would go to Plato. Plato would have these big seminars, like this Tony Robbins type of thing. And Diogenes would show up. And I'm assuming, I can just, just from reading about this guy, I can imagine the smell of him. Because why? Why would he care about bathing? He lives in a bucket, for crying out loud. So he go. he would go to Plato's seminars. And as Plato was delivering these pearls of wisdom to these philosophers who have traveled m- hundreds of miles to sit in front of Plato. Diogenes would unwrap food and eat it noisily, just to distract everybody. It's, <laughs> that's, that's master level trolling. Like, that is, you could take the best troll today, and he could never live up to sitting in front of one of the greatest minds of the Western world and eating noisily while he's trying to do a presentation. That is, Diogenes, that is 100%. That's grade A stuff. When I saw that anecdote, I was like, okay, this guy, I'm going to talk about this guy however briefly, because that's amazing. He ended up getting caught, sold into slavery, 
the well he got caught because he was running around or something like that he he i think he had to leave the city because he was doing some stuff defacing the money maybe he gets caught by slavers sold to someone and ends up and ends up teaching his master's children because he he was a brilliant mind he was just so outside the box if he wasn't living in the box he was outside of it so he goes into this rich dude's house he's teaching his kids he starts to gain more stature. He finds another philosopher who shares the same viewpoints as him, and that's really where the school of cynicism kind of took off. And then, like, so he finally has some prestige. He has a house that he lives in where he tutors these children. He's the second-hand man to this other famous philosopher who actually, like, they see eye to eye. It's all about people being simple and, and having disregard for these material things. And he moves into a jar. He moves into a jar. He's in a brand new city, and he has a job, and he has all this respectability, and he just gets a big jar and crawls inside of it. And he lives in a jar in this city as well. But again, now he has more clout. People are like, oh, hey, Theo James. He's like jacking off in the jar. They're like, oh, you scamp. I wonder what Oscar the Grouch does in that garbage can all the time. I think there was an episode of Sesame Street, and I could have just be a little kid, and I could have been dreaming this, but I thought there was an episode where they go into the garbage can, and there's like a full apartment down there. I don't remember, but it almost sounds something like I would have dreamt rather than it actually being real. Because actually, that's kind of creepy. That's basically Oscar the Grouch's like murder dungeon. There's something underneath the garbage can. So, and again, Diogenes goes out in the weirdest possible way. They, they don't know exactly how he died. There's one of three ways. One, died of an infected dog bite, which would be ironic because cynics basically want to live like dogs. Which I guess that's how other dogs died back then. They got bit by other dogs. Eating raw octopus. Now, obviously, he wasn't, like, swimming in the ocean and, like, took a bite out of one, but, you know, just eating raw octopus food. Or, oddly enough, and this is actually physically impossible, I don't even know why they include this in this list of his possible deaths, holding his breath until he died. Your body won't let you do that, but maybe held his breath and, like, fell into some wet cement and couldn't breathe anymore. And they asked him before he died, not like while he was dying. <clears throat> He's face down on the cement, and they're like, hey, Diogenes, Diogenes, how do, you, how do you want to be buried? But they asked him before he died, and he said, they go, what do you want us to do with your body when you're dead? Because, again, he had more clout in this new city. He said, yeah, just throw it out, <laughs> just throw it over the city wall. Let the dogs eat it. I don't care. And they go, well, don't you mind? And he goes, I won't care if you do that, as long as you give me a stick so I can fight the dogs off. And they go, well, dude, if we throw you over the wall, you're dead, and we give you a stick. Why, why, why are you asking for a stick? You're dead. You can't do anything. And he replied, if I lack awareness, then why should I care what happens to me when I am dead? I think there's definitely elements from Diogene's life that we can look at. I, public masturbation is not one of them. Don't do that. Living in a jar, maybe, if you had a nice lid. But uh, I, I wouldn't do it. Unless it was had the murder dungeon underneath it. Okay, so not saying I would use a murder dungeon. I would just want more room down there. Hey, everyone. So I'm back. And you're thinking, wait, what do you mean you're back? You, you, you were just talking. This is actually being recorded a couple hours later. Had to go to a physical therapy appointment. Came home. Ate a block of jalapeno cheese. Took about a two-hour nap. And now I have to get ready to go to one of my jobs. I have three of them. But... I originally recorded this following story, and I just didn't like the way it came out. It just I was basically just listing facts. I didn't think it had a really strong narrative hook. I do have to say, though, it's not very funny, um, because both topics are incredibly <laughs> disturbing. So 
We'll see where we go with this. I'm actually glad I'm including this story in this episode because then I can just explicit adult filter the whole thing after Dio jeans. Jacking off everywhere. Now we're on to this story, which we'll also I'll have to put warnings on. So, so this theory here came off of the conspiracy iceberg. We've talked a lot about that. Uh, the Sentinelese having alien artifacts that came off the conspiracy iceberg. It's basically just a list of all the conspiracies. And the farther you go down, the more rare they are. One of them is just listed as a phrase. Nambla shootings. Now, if you don't know, if you're lucky enough to not know that this group exists, I wasn't. I've unfortunately been aware of their existence for decades. Nambla is a quite disgusting group. They fall in and out of operation. Sometimes they're around, sometimes they're not. But I'm sure they're always functioning on some level. Nambla is the North American. Oh, that sounds nice. North American. A lot of good stuff comes from there. The North American Man-Boy Love Association. So, it's a group that encourages pedophilia between adult men and young boys. NAMBLA, it pops up in the newspapers every once in a while, but like I said, they don't seem to be as functional as they used to be. Here's a little quick history lesson for you. Back in the day, like in the 60s, first off, when the gay rights community was uh, trying to fight for their rights back in the 50s, the gay rights organizations and the lesbian rights organizations did not get along. They didn't communicate with each other. They didn't work on the same beat. They, didn't, they weren't working together because the issues they were facing were completely different. The lesbians were not facing the same level of aggressive policing that the gay groups were. The main issues with being gay back in the 50s was the police uh, crashing into your gay bar. Not literally. They didn't have like their cop cars going through the wall, but they would br- they would do these stings. They would break into gay bars, arrest everybody. They would arrest men who were cruising for sex because you know they're gay and it was illegal. So basically, you'd go out to a restroom and you would try to hook up with someone. This was before Grinder, obviously. This was before cell phones or probably even phones. They would show up at a restroom to meet another guy and it would be an undercover cop so when the gay rights organizations started trying to fight back the lesbian groups are like we those aren't problems that we face like quit going to restrooms and quit hanging out at these gay bars are getting raided by these police and you'll be fine just be like housewives like us but they finally did become a coalition to both of their benefit because you know strength in numbers right but another group tried to glom onto them early on in the gay rights struggle, and that was groups similar to NAMBLA, where it was basically, they're like, you know what, we're gay too. And everyone's like, oh, that's awesome, you can help in this fight. And they're like, yeah, we're gay with little boys. And it, it didn't take long, it took a matter of seconds actually, for the gay rights organizations to be like, you can't, you're not part of this, like... That's totally different than what we're looking at. That's 100% different. We're not going to do that. But they've tried warming their way into the sexual rights organizations and the sexual rights, like freedoms, protests, and stuff like that for a while. So NAMBLA as a group has existed, I think, since the 70s or 80s. I haven't done any research on them in particular. It's just kind of the knowledge that I've gained about them over the years. I don't want to type NAMBLA into Google over and over again like I had to do just to start this story. But so I went in with the assumption that maybe somebody shot up a NAMBLA meeting. Now, as much as I despise their ideology, I don't think anyone should go in it and shoot them up. But I didn't find any record of that. And then I thought maybe it's doing something where they're encouraging shootings, which would fall a little more in line. You know, there's this, there's basically this sexual 
ladder that people tend to descend over time. I was talking to one of my bosses at one of my jobs. We were talking about porn, and he goes, yeah, you know, it's weird how nobody, like, he goes, it's weird how you start off just watching normal stuff, and then I said, yeah, I go, nobody starts off with trap porn. Like, it's, I'm sure some people do, but most guys are like, ooh, big boobs. And they watch that for a couple months or a year or whatever, and then give over time, now they're watching, you know, all sorts, they're watching like hardcore BDSM, or they start to find their fetishes, they have to find new things to arouse them because they're not getting aroused from just big boobs anymore. And so it wouldn't, it wouldn't completely shock me if, if all of a sudden it came out that pedophiles also were equally disgusting in other areas of society. And that if there were pedophiles who got off on kids being killed or mass shootings and things like that. And so I kind of started to approach it from that level. And you you go, well, Jason, that's an extreme jump. But I I have something to back that up. And I'm going to go over this real quick. So the last time I recorded this, it was like 20 minutes long. And I just just read a bunch of facts and it just didn't work. So I'm going to go over these relatively quickly. The big one, the big one to support this evidence is Adam Lanza. Now, Adam Lanza is the dude who went and shot up Sandy Hook. Yes, Sandy Hook actually happened. Adam Lanza was most likely the perpetrator. The, the event 100% happened. Kids were killed there. The, the fact that we have to debate that, it, to me, is ridiculous. Whether or not Adam Lanza was the shooter, I believe he was the shooter. But you could argue with me on that. But for the sake of this, Adam Lanza, he did go, he killed his mom. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. If everyone thinks it was like a hit job, why would they go to his house and kill his mom first? And then fake the whole thing. Anyways, so Adam Lanza was the dude who walked into Sandy Hook Elementary School and shot it up. It wasn't the first elementary school shooting. It's just the most recent, and it had quite a high body count. And what it came out afterwards was he tried destroying his hard drive, but he wasn't able to completely destroy it. We were able to recover some documents, and not only on his hard drive, but around his house. He definitely had an interest in the rights of pedophilia, in advocating for pedophiles to have rights. It's hard to draw the concrete conclusion that he was 100% a pedophile. They didn't find any child porn in his home, but they did find a script called Love Bound. I, I... couldn't tell whether or not he wrote it or someone else wrote it, but they did find a script called Love Bound. It is the story of a 30-year-old man and a 10-year-old boy. People that he spoke to online said that he did, would talk about, and he would advocate, like, you know, pedophilia is not evil, it's just a sickness, and it's something that needs to be treated. Again, there's no concrete proof that he was a pedophile, but it is interesting because he did once tell somebody he thought that, and he was when he was talking about this, no one really took it seriously because he was just a big weirdo, but he made the comment that if you killed the children, it would actually save them and help them escape the brainwashing and harmful influences from adults. One of the key things that we see in pedophiles, I told you this is not a very funny episode, but one of the key things we see in pedophiles is they want to retard or completely stop a child's development. Like, you fall in love with an 8-year-old, we as realistic humans are going to go, dude, you know in like 10 years she's going to be 18. But they want to stop that mental development. Because they look at 18-year-olds and they're like, look at all these thoughts running around, look at all these women corrupted, look at all this stuff. They want to keep them in that childlike state. Now obviously that's pretty much impossible, so they keep going from kid to kid to kid. So he's saying, you know, we don't want them brainwashed, we don't want these kids becoming 
you know, horrible members of society or looking down on me because I'm a big old weird looking nerd and all that stuff. Let's just shoot them. It's weird. It's a weird connection. But again, it's not concrete proof that he's a pedophile. But we can start to draw conclusions from his weirdo behavior and the weirdo behavior of other people. Uh, Cho Cho Sung Hoi, and I don't care if I mispronounce his name because he's a total asshole. He was the guy who shot up Virginia Tech. His hard drive was completely missing. And you go, well, maybe he just wanted to, you know, hide some stuff. He made public videos talking about his plan. So if the only thing on his hard drive were his plans, then it would have just added to his power level. But if he had a bunch of child porn on there, it would actually decrease him. He's no longer the bad boy with a fight against the world. He's a, he's a big old pervert. So it's possible that he had child porn on it. Can't prove it. But again, we're going to keep going here. Same thing with Stephen Paddock, the dude who shot at Vegas. We're moving out of school shootings now, but he's the guy who shot all those people in Vegas. His hard drives are missing. We have a hard time giving him a motive for that. But a prostitute did come forward and say that when I was with him, he wanted me to dress up as a preteen girl in a like private school girl uniform. So short skirt above the knee, knee-high socks, little button-down shirt. And he would talk about how I was a virgin, like while they were role-playing having sex, how I was a virgin, how that was the first dick I had ever seen, and all and all sorts of stuff. So he's definitely living out these preteen fantasies. Recently we had a guy, and this is totally alleged because he has not been convicted of this at all, but there was a guy named Randall Drake. The police were actually investigating him for distributing child pornography. That's how he got on the radar. They come to the house... They see a locked closet. They go, that must be where the child porn is. They break the lock. They found a ton of weapons, pipe bombs. They found Google Earth maps of local schools, a Google Google Earth map of like a water refinery, and a letter talking about how the world needs to burn. Everyone's so evil to me, blah, blah, blah. Now, they haven't located the child porn yet, but again, it's an interesting connection. He's, He's locked up right now. I think they have him on a 5150 hold because they just don't know. Or they charged him with just building the pipe bombs or something like that, but... You have all, oh, and Stephen Paddock's brother was arrested for child porn, and that was a whole weird story. He actually got released, even though they found him with child porn, they released him because they said, oh, there's no witnesses will testify against you. What about the cops who walked in the room with all the child porn? Anyways, they released him, and then another agency picked him, arrested him again and said, no, we'll charge him with the child porn. So we have this thread and just these four links of this child porn being linked through. Is there? Is it possible that there is a connection between the two? I th- again, I will go towards that idea that these people. I would say yes. Other than Randall Drake, which hasn't been convicted yet, so we'll put him back in the box. Stephen Paddock, Cho Sung Hoi, Adam Lanza. I'd say very likely that they had child pornography on their computers. So the question is: Is that is there actually a link between the consumption of child pornography? being a pedophile, and being a mass shooter. I don't think that every child molester is a mass shooter, but I think you might find the odds of being mass shooters are more likely to be pedophiles or have child porn. And I would say that if you're already nutty enough to go and shoot up a whole group of people for absolutely no reason other than whatever stuff is wrong in your head, clicking a link on a dark web website full of child porn should be the least of your worries. And I think it's something that one thing may lead into the other. Because again, when you're killing someone, that person is now frozen as a young person in their photo forever. You're locking them in to that age group that you like, that photo forever. It's never going to go away. You keep them forever young, just the way that a pedophile would want it. 
So, I mean, I think if if somebody out there listening to the show is a research psychologist and you're listening to it to figure me out, this might be a good dissertation to actually go through and really dig in to the people who are still alive. The shooters are still alive. You could really aggressively ask them if they were pedophiles. I don't know. But go through the go through the victim numbers and find the ages of the victims and see how they correlate and, and all of this stuff. It wouldn't shock me. It, it just wouldn't shock me, unfortunately. But I, I wanted to kind of cover that story for you because I thought it was just kind of a weird blip on the conspiracy iceberg. Like it's just two words strung together. Was it part of the word soup? Or was it actually a hint to a bigger problem that we don't know about? We always talk about bullying with school shootings. We always talk about anti-anxiety medicine with school shootings. But is there something else we need to look at? Are school shootings linked to pedophiles and child molestation? And this is something we should look at as it seems that both of those lifestyles are starting to be a little more accepted in our world. And that's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. 